following sermon was delivered at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. There are a lot of things that we cheer. We cheer our favorite sports team when they win a victory. We cheer uh, for great military victories or for the election of our favorite political candidate. We go to the symphony of the opera and we might rise at the end and with those there shout out bravo and cheer and praise uh, the performers. But of course, the greatest object of our praise and exaltation should be the Lord Jesus Christ, our King. How do we praise him, though? What is the appropriate way that we would exalt him in our affections and with our bodies? Well, Psalm 98 uh, teaches us the most appropriate way to express exuberant shouts and cheers to the triune God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is by singing to him a new song. Now, Psalm 98 is a part of this wonderful selection of psalms. It begins with Psalm 93, uh, ends with Psalm 100. Uh, these, if you remember from the Psalm 100 sermon, uh, these are uh, Messianic kingdom psalms. Psalm 93 begins with this prophecy of Jehovah coming uh, to rule as king on the earth, and he's exalted. And then the various psalms in this section go from uh, his glory and vindication to the danger of not worshiping him. Uh, Psalm 96 sets before us uh, the double work of the church, that we are to worship him and to preach the gospel. And 97 speaks then of the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ and the vindication of his saints. And so we come now to cheering, cheering for the king. The king has gone on high in the victory parade. The king who is exalted at the right hand of God the Father. We are to cheer him, and this psalm teaches us uh, that we are to praise him with song because of what he's accomplished for us and in us. For the gospel that goes to the ends of the earth, we sing with confidence then the new song of our salvation. We're going to consider three things. The theme of this song, of our praise, the music of our praise, and the hope or confidence of our praise. So because of what God has done for us and in us, because of our confidence that he will do this under the ends of the earth and gather the nations to himself, we are to praise him with this new song. First then, consider it with me, the theme of the song. It's expressed in the first three verses. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He's revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Now, the Holy Spirit first addresses to us a very simple command. That we are to sing, and the subject matter of our singing is to be a new song. Now, what is this new song 
that we read so often in the Psalms and, and in the book of Revelation. What is the content of this new song? Is a new song simply songs that have been written anew in the history of the church? Well, not exactly. Uh, to some degree, yes. But when we look at the context of new song, what we see is that the new song is a song that grows out of the present experience of God's saving grace and victory. The new song is a song that grows out of the experience of God's saving grace and victory. That's why the song of Moses can be put with the song of the Lamb, which has been called, as we saw in Revelation 5, uh, a new song. The song of Moses was, in a sense, the first new song. This was a great victory. When the children of Israel were in this hard place between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea, and God delivered them, destroyed their enemies, and they sang this song of victory, growing out of their experience. We go now to what's taking place in heaven, even today. New song being sung to the Lamb for what he has done. New song of confidence for what he will do. So the new song can be a song sung today with old words, words that do reflect what God is doing. But a new song should also be songs that are originating and arising out of our experience. That's why in the history of the church, we have prepared hymns and don't just sing the Psalms of the Old Covenant. There are things that we cannot sing about God's redemption from the Psalms. We cannot sing about the mystery uh, of which Paul writes with respect to the incarnation and union with Christ. And, and we cannot sing about the Trinity. And we cannot sing about baptism. But these are all precious experiences to us. So the new song uh, will take old words and apply them, but also we must, under the Holy Spirit, um, compose songs out of our experience. Reflections of the mighty grace of God. So, the new song here, we're told, with respect to its theme, focuses on three things. Uh, the first thing it focuses on are the great works of God of salvation. He has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. The second part of verse 1. Now, the wonderful thing that God has done is the most glorious thing that God has done. It's not creation. It's not providence. It's not deliverance from Egypt. It is the glorious accomplishment of salvation of sinners. It is the great eternal decree of God by which he chose uh, all those whom he would save. Uh, the counsel in which our Savior voluntarily set himself forth to come as the God-man, to obey the law of God perfectly and to accomplish our salvation. The perfect work of the incarnate Savior. In fact, you notice here when it concludes that... Uh, his right hand, his holy arm have gained the victory for him. Uh, the Lord did this. And there was none with him, he says in Isaiah. He stepped forward uh, to do this. And then as the Spirit comes and uh, applies these things to us, and that great salvation comes to its climax. There's nothing more glorious or wonderful, is there, than the great scheme of redemption, the eternal plan of salvation in its application in our lives. So the theme of the new song is the wonderful things of God's redemption. Second, we see the theme is the fact that God has revealed this redemption unto the ends of the earth. Verse 2, the Lord has made known his salvation. He's revealed his righteousness in the sight of 
the nations. Remember what Paul says to Agrippa in Acts 26, 26. Of the life and death of Christ, the resurrection, these things were not done in secret. They were done in the open. Everyone in Jerusalem knew of these things. No one believed the lie of the Pharisees. There were living witnesses that could step forward and testify not only to the death, but the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that which was done there in the open has, by God's decree, been proclaimed to the ends of the earth. So in Isaiah 62, 2, the nations will see your righteousness, all kings your glory, and you'll be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will designate. This is the church of which he speaks here. And the nations will see her righteousness. She will have this glorious name of God as the church of God, as Christian placed upon her. And the kings will see her glory. It's made known unto the ends of the earth. Isaiah in many places prophesies this reality. That the nations will hear of Christ. Kings will come to Christ with all of their glory and all of their splendor. And what does Paul say then in uh, Colossians uh, chapter 1 verses 5 and 6. Of the preaching of the gospel in his own day. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. All the known world, the days of Paul, you could even write right here, had heard the gospel. Think of it today. The gospel indeed is proclaimed from the rising to the setting of the sun. Increasingly, the nations of the earth will have the Bible in their own languages. And people daily are learning of the triune God and the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise God in song because redemption is accomplished and because redemption has been proclaimed. And in that proclamation, God has brought us into union with him. The third aspect or theme of this song, I just laid out here, is God's covenant faithfulness, which in a sense lies behind everything else that is said. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. When you read in the Bible that God has remembered, of course you know that God never forgets anything. When it says God has remembered, it means God has acted on the basis of his covenant. Yes, his eternal covenant with the elect in Christ. But particularly this brings us back to the first great gospel promise clearly made to Abraham. Now God remembered his covenant with Adam after the fall, his covenant with Noah. But it's particularly with Abraham. As we learn from Zechariah's song in Luke chapter 1, uh, Mary alludes to this in the Magnificat, reflecting on what we will uh, here tonight uh, of the virgin conception, uh, God spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. That covenant made with Abraham was with all of the seed of Abraham, who Paul says, all who are in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Zacharias then prayed um, that God would, uh, in 72 and 73 of chapter 1, show mercy toward our fathers to remember his holy covenant the oath which she swore to Abraham, our father. As the writer of Hebrews says, it was the promise and oath so that we would be assured beyond all doubt of God's great saving.
purposes. It's God's covenant faithfulness that we are celebrating in our new song, which does speak to us again of what we sing. Did God's covenant faithfulness stop in 400 BC before the incarnation? Or has God's covenant faithfulness continued throughout the life of Christ and of the apostles? Is God's covenant faithfulness continuing today in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? In this gathering of the nations, then, as the writer says, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Why? Because God swore to Abraham that he'd be a father of the nations of the earth. He'd be a blessing to the nations of the earth. A portfolio of poetry gets pretty full, doesn't it? as we think of, of what it is that we are to be celebrating in a new song. Uh, the great redemptive acts of God. It is for this reason, then, that, that we sing not just psalms. And you'll note, if you're here with any regularity, that we sing over 50% psalms. We believe that we should sing psalms. We believe that the new song compels us to sing more than just new songs. And what about your own heart? Times I lead worship, never here, uh, at least not yet, I will see people, particularly men in the congregation, that don't sing. I really wonder about a person who doesn't sing. You see, if you've been saved, you've got a song in your heart. That's part of what the Holy Spirit has done. Because there's nothing more glorious and wonderful. Young people, children, saved in the covenant, it matters not. Once you grow into the realization of who God is and, and what he's done for you, you should want to sing. This we like to sing about other things that we like, how we should want to sing. If you don't want to sing, that's, that's an indication that you're not in Christ. If your heart's not full of gospel harmony and melody, is that not an indication that you're at least estranged from your lover and you don't really know him well enough to glory in him? You see, at the center of our singing, our worship, our preaching, it must be the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the key to all unction, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I determined no nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because of that, Paul said, he eschewed all uh, uh, fake means and sophistry. He preached in dependence upon the powerful spirit of God. They go together because the spirit's great purpose is to shine light on Christ. If we shine light on Christ in our worship, in our preaching, then we know that the Spirit will be shining light on us and the tasks that we undertake in our worship and in our preaching. So my friends, I hope that Christ is very precious to you today and you'll think more of him uh, and particularly express it uh, in uh, the new song that we would sing uh, to him. That's the theme of the new song. And if you pay attention to uh, what we pick out, because Pastor Groff and I spend a lot of time in seeking to coordinate psalms and hymns with the theme of the service. And this is to help all of us with intelligence sing the new song. So do pay close attention and take advantage of what he posts each week uh, in the website so that you'll know what we're singing and you'll know where the service is going. And you yourself can reflect on how every part of this service is fitting together. We're seeking to worship God in this manner. 
Now it's interesting because the second thing we see after the theme is that actually the psalmist talks about the music of the new song. And he tells us three things. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy. Sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with lyre, with lyre and the sound of melody, and with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Shout joyfully before the King of the Lord. Now, the Holy Spirit teaches us three things here about music in our worship. And the first is, is to be exuberant. Can we deny that? Shout joyfully to the Lord, break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. You remember that scene uh, in uh, volume three of Tolkien's trilogy when uh, Mordor falls? And the great shout, the glorious rejoicing that spread through that entire army. That has always gripped me as the explanation of what we have right here. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth, break forth, sing for joy, sing praises. This is one of the great Problems with Reformed worship. It lacks joyful and exuberant singing and expressions. Now, not you. Zach and I both have commended you to many people for a little group often having to sing a cappella. Probably that's why you sing better. Because you're training your children. You're singing well already. And may God grant that that will increase. That the walls will reverberate with the joy of the singing of the people at Antioch Presbyterian Church. So don't hold back. Let those Marcus kids be an example to you of how to sing that which you know. It doesn't matter whether you can sing it prettily. It matters if you can sing it exuberantly. Praising God because Christ is the victor. He's conquered everything, sin and death and all of our enemies. Even sin in us. Now the next thing I want you to note is that new song music should be melodious. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. And here we have the soft instruments. We read of the harp accompanying the singing in, in Revelation chapter 15. And the focus here, I think, is, is the melody. It's almost like it's the ballad. It's, it's the... It's God's folk song. It's a song that tells the story uh, of the great stories of the Bible and of redemption and of our own experience in Christ. And it's to be soft and, and gentle like a, a spring breeze as it wafts across uh, the people of God. It, it's reflective. And notice the melody takes us back there to Ephesians chapter 5 that we are to sing uh, to God with psalms, hymns, and spiritual uh, songs with melody in our heart. So that, again, as we're glad, we now look on Christ as a lover. And we're singing love songs. And we're singing the tales uh, that reflect about his greatness. But then you see, in the third place, it's exuberant. It is melodious and at times soft. But it's also militant. Notice the change of instruments. We're in verse 8. You've got the soft lyre, the harp. Sound of melody. In verse 
uh, verse 5 and verse 6, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, shout joyfully before the King of the Lord. Now we're brought back to uh, the military songs, the militant songs of triumph and of victory. And just as uh, trumpets would blare before uh, a great army, uh, we're reminded here that uh, our singing is to also reflect the militant nature of the church militant, the church in which we are now employed in the great warfare of the gospel. And we do this because Christ is king. And he's conquering the nations by his own power. Now I want you to learn the lesson here. Try to explain to you why we do what we do. The reformers rightly said that non-lyrical music, in other words, what you read of in Chronicles at the Temple, with all of the um, uh, music accompanying all the ritual and the sacrifices, that ceased. And, and Calvin will say, for example, in Psalm 92, that uh, when we're told to praise God with these instruments, that that is getting to the fact that we're to praise God uh, with this exuberant joy in the fulfillment of the gospel. But what we read here, I'm convinced, has not ceased. For here we read not of non-lyrical music accompanying sacrifices, but we're reading of music that accompanies singing and helps us, as the text said, to sing with melody. And I've, I've shifted on this. It's no longer a circumstance. We do have, uh, we don't know them, but we do have musical notations. We have musical instruments that are part of the Psalter of how they were to be accompanied. When Elisha needed to sing, what did he call? He called for a minstrel to help him sing. And so we only used instruments. That's why you will not hear in our worship service a musical instrument uh, ever used without accompanying singing. Before the call to worship, try to get you to quiet down. Afterwards, for a few moments, maybe of reflection as we dismiss. But between uh, the benediction and the doxology, you're not going to hear any musical instrument except that which helps us to sing. That, I think, is what the purpose is that we sing here. Second, you need to learn to sing. You need to practice the hymns and psalms that we sing. Zach does a lot of work to put on the website, not only the bulletin, what we're going to sing, so you can review the words, but also the tune is there. And he tells me if you click the tune, you can then go to the uh, YouTube section and you can hear it played. So we all should be doing this for ourselves, for our children, so that we have... Uh, come uh, prepared then to sing in this manner and to use the music to help us unto that end. And then a third principle here is, notice how the musical accompaniment should always support the message. There'll be joyful psalms and hymns, and that's how our service should begin with this exuberant music. There'll be reflective psalms and hymns of, of thanksgiving and preparation. They'll be militant. But each of these should have the appropriate kind of music accompanying it because the music is going to help stir up our proper affections. I've read that Calvin in Geneva, as they were writing the Genevan tunes, he took the Gregorian chants, not all of them, but the, because they were all related to mood. They had mood, but the mood was for mood. And Calvin self-consciously uh, addressed the need of matching um, the mood of the Gregorian chants to the mood that was in the sacred poetry. So once again, the people who put our hymn book and Psalter together have done so with reflection. 
And we will pick out those things for you with reflection. And so we sing this new song because of what God has done for us in Christ. Uh, it's the theme. It is, God even teaches us about the music, but he also wants us to sing with confidence. Even though we're a small handful, we're a little congregation, our new song is to have confidence. And so we come to the last paragraph. This is a, a similar, familiar uh, theme in these psalms. Let the sea roar and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Notice that we, we move here from um, the, uh, the majesty, the sea roar and all it contains, the universality of the world and those who dwell in it, and the glory, let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains sing together for joy. All around us, because he's made the creation, he wants us to hear that when it is doing its work, it is praising God. You understand that? We're the only one of God's creatures that refuses to praise him. When, when the creation does that for which it's created, as the sea roars, and if you stood there, it's, it's ceaseless, isn't it? Reminding us of the ceaseless, ceaselessness of the gospel as it spreads. Um, and so that the world and all who dwell in it are hearing of Christ. As the psalmist says, the sun runs its course. It's, it's proclaiming the great creator, God. Everything around us, as it does that for which God created it to do, is proclaiming the praise of God. Listen to it. Let it help you. Uh, but particularly now, in terms of the coming, the presence of our king. You'll notice, remember these are Messianic kingdom psalms, that uh, creation is called on to enter into this symphony, this oratory, before Jehovah, for he's coming to judge the earth. But this, this was prophetic, you see. This was talking about the king who was coming. This psalm is not in the first place about the second coming of Christ. It's about the first coming of Christ. And you and I, because now he has come, right? The Savior has come. He now is exalted at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is even today judging the world with righteousness. He's revealed that righteousness to the nations, which is the righteousness of his salvation. He's acted on the basis of his covenant loving kindness and faithfulness uh, to the church, the house of Israel. And he now is exercising godly judgment and righteousness, peoples with equity, uprightness, parallel terms. He reigns. And every time you hear a thunderstorm, every time you look at a mountain, every time you stand on the seashore, every time you see a beautiful flower or a baby bird, say, he reigns. He reigns. Because he reigns, everything is working. You see, he upholds all things by the word of his power. The very existence, the, the correct functioning of these things, that glorious moon the last few nights is only because Christ upholds it by his power. It's telling you he reigns. And it is with you in some mysterious way, as Paul says, uh, waiting for its perfection, yearning to be delivered from the curse. And so we can also go to the end of the age. Uh, when all things will be right in creation, 
physically as well as with us. So how are we to sing? Are we to be dour and downhearted? Are we to be pessimistic? Are we to be confident? Little flock. He says, doubt not. Your father's promised to give you the kingdom. Little flock at, at Antioch. Does your God reign? Did the sun come up this morning and tell you your God reigns? And thus, did you not sing with great confidence? And so you see, we're the choir, the choir directors. We're the chorus for the dumb, inanimate creation around us. It's doing its work. We articulate then in our worship corporately this praise of God, this covenant faithful God who is full of loving kindness and faithfulness. Now the psalmist picks up on Exodus 34, reminds us of the compassion and the grace of God uh, to the nations through the church, through the church, the house of Israel, which we have become. So all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. So worship becomes pretty exciting, doesn't it? And we think that because of what God has accomplished for us and in us and unto the ends of the earth, that we are to praise him in song with great confidence. We've got the theme. We've got the music. And that music needs to be melodious. So one of the complaints I've often had about some of the tunes and some of the older Reformed hymnals, they're just unsingable. What we want are those tunes that you're humming all week long. And perhaps don't even remember the words at that particular point. But they're there. I often, when I wake up right before sunset, and I leave the house in a glorious sunset, and I think of that great hymn, My Soul Awakening Cries. You see, um, there the sunset is speaking to me of the great works of Christ, which remind me of my glorious Savior. And it's a very hummable tune. And so learn the music. And learn the words and uh, practice uh, that we then might excel uh, in our worship of our great king. There'd be few things more, I think, attractive to the world around us than a congregation that's gripped with the beauty that Christ is enthroned and we're singing like it. So God bless us unto the end. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.